Welcome to Highly Functioning, a show about exploring, understanding, and optimizing the mind from a non-neurotypical lens. On this episode of Highly Functioning, we talk about depression and the difficulties of managing it, which can include negative feedback loops, feelings that our efforts are useless and futile, and often socializing our successes and privatizing our failures. We also discuss how to set small, ever-increasing goals to dig yourself out of depression, how we can build an anti-fragile mind, and the importance of taking preventative measures in the fight against depression. As always, thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcasting app. Follow us and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash highlyfunctioning. And if you like our content, consider supporting us at highlyfunctioning.ca. There, you'll find bonus content, Q&As, and be able to provide direct input on how you can change the show. Hey, Winston. How's it going? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm doing all right. I'm glad we're recording today. We had a long preamble and some lagging issues. Hopefully, they're all right, but we'll see, I guess. Um, So today, we wanted to talk about your recent, uh, let's say encounters with anxiety and depression because you have a concussion and I suppose, you know, I want to hear more from you, but you, I think you're recently dealing with these. These are new things that you've not often dealt with before. And so you wanted to really understand how you're processing them. And so go ahead. So just to give a little bit of background, I'm not going to go so far in depth with it, but I recently um, had a concussion a a few weeks ago uh, as a result of a car accident And because of that, um, to the folks out there who have had concussions in the past, um, there's a lot of like neurological issues that you might, that you might experience. Some of which is difficulty focusing, difficulty being able to spend, like get the motivation to actually get out of bed, uh, and things like that. Um, and I found it very difficult considering that I'm someone who has always been go, go, go and sort of trying something new or keeping themselves busy or, I'm the classic person that always wants to be doing something or reading something. And it's been a huge shift because on top of light sensitivity, sound sensitivity, it's been really easy to sort of just like lock yourself in a room and not want to get out of bed. Um, And this is a common thing that people have post-concussion. And I've had that feeling with anxiety and depression. And it's one of those things where like, um, I wouldn't go far as to say this, but I think it's important of like, you wouldn't wish it on your worst enemy and you won't really know until you felt the the intensity of that depression. Um, And one of the things that I've noticed is that with depression itself, it's almost this negative feedback loop or cycle that you put yourself in. And for me, it's so much that I can't go ahead and read a book for beyond 45 minutes without losing interest, even if it's something that I so want to go ahead and con- consume because my mind is not able to focus on that. And the fact that I can't do what I don't want to do makes me upset. That feeling of being upset makes me less want to go out and do things, which is almost like the self-fulfilling feedback loop where the only like decision that you have is just don't do anything because you're going to fail at it anyways. And so there are times when they're very, very simple things that are high priority that I'll go ahead and push off because of the fact that I'm like, I'm just going to fail at it. Why try in the first place? And for me, the reason why I thought it'd be really good to talk about is because I find that it's a very difficult topic to bring up with other people because one, people might just be like, oh, it's just a lack of discipline or it's just a lack of um, like effort being put into change things. 
But I found that one of the things that I'm trying to do now on like sort of a road to recovery and one of the uh, people that I talk to at, at the concussion clinic that I go to, um, she talks about think of your mind sort of like a sort of like a battery where the amount of capacity that you have to work on things is much lower as a result of your concussion. And I think it's it's relevant to someone else who might be going to depression as well. Sort of figure out what are the most important things that you want to go ahead and work on and be very, very ruthless on how you actually allocate that capacity. And she mentioned that the worst thing that you can do for yourself is to put yourself into put yourself into a room and basically go full recluse from society. Because what ends up happening is when you do that and then try jumping into being normal, you get hit with so much sensory input and so much stress that you shut down and go, go into an even deeper hole. So she mentioned that one of the things that you should be doing is slowly drip feed like things that you would do normally and almost have like 10 minutes of that just so that um, you can sort of desensitize your brain and sort sort of allow it to better um, better adjust to the way the world is. And there's a there's actually a scientific concept behind it, which is hormesis, uh, which I've been reading about recently and sort of I've been trying to continue during this process of something in large quantities is very bad for you, but when you're when it's taken in small dosages, it actually might be good. And it's sort of it's sort of relevant here in which I find that me spending little bits of time, like I first started out like talking to friends online, spending my spending some time with, with light, spending some time listening to music, uh, and sort of adding these little bits of like um, sensory input has really allowed me to sort of the next day be like, okay, fifth, instead of ten minutes, I'm going to do fifteen minutes, and it's been really helpful for me to to sort of get out of that depression because I've set the bar so low that I don't allow myself to get into this negative feedback loop of wanting to just go back in bed and not do anything at all. And it's, a uh, and I, I, know I'm, I know I'm sort of going on a riff here, but uh, one of the things I was reading is like, in order, in order to get yourself out of this, it's really focus on having no zero days where no days where it's like, you're going to be stuck in bed, find out one thing, no matter how small it is, whether it be doing your laundry or whether it be like doing 10 pushups, whatever it is, have those little, little goals in mind so that you can desensitize yourself to larger and larger amounts of effort. And so far I've been seeing, of course, there's, and you also have to understand that you're, uh, you're a human being. There are times where it's going to be worse than others. And there are days that you can't do as much, or you might take three steps forward, one step back, but you should emotionally be emotionally sort of um, talk yourself into being like, that's fine. You're human. As long as you keep at this over the course of two months, you'll get yourself into the next rung of depression. So you can finally get yourself out of that hole. Um, and that's sort of what I've been feeling. And I found that to be super helpful in the past few days going ahead and doing that. Uh, and I know you've had specific experiences of depression as well. So I'm curious to see what, what your thoughts are on that. And did you do something similar? Did you do something different? And is that something that you think is generally applicable to people in general? Or was it different for you? Well, so there, I have a small disagreement, I think. But it's not worth focusing on because I largely agree um, you know, when I did the program at North York General Hospital, um, you know, I was exposed to this thing called behavioral activation. And so it's very much this idea of just get yourself to do something, you'll see that you accomplish that thing, and you can go from there. And so that's, um, that's really helpful to start getting out of a depression, right? Because you want to prove that you're able to do things. And, you know, in, a, in Ayn Rand's view of what self-esteem is, 
Um, it's that you're able to live and worthy of living. And so you actually have to prove to yourself you're able to live because you really feel, and especially when you're concussed or something, like your ability to deal with the world is hugely diminished. And so you really think like, I'm not able to live right now. Like, so I'm worthless. And it, and it really is a negative cycle. Um, you know, I've mentioned before the Human Flourishing Project by Alex Epstein, and he talks about, uh, he has a really good episode on the growth mindset. And it's the same thing that's much more widely applicable because a lot of people don't like, you know, when, when we're talking about coming out of a depression, you're kind of like learning to walk again. But it's the same fundamental principle as learning to sprint, right? You know, I have a lot of people who talk about how impressed they are with, you know, all of the stuff I do, let's say. And the reason I can do it is because I look at how much I've done, not how far I have to go. And I think that applies at every scale, um, whether it's I've gone one minute today or I've gone 10 minutes today. Because I used to be kind of like debilitated by how big my goals are because I was always focused on how far away that seemed. And when you're in a depression, that's times a million, right? Like you're doing anything seems like almost impossible. And you have to then just kind of get yourself to do a small thing and focus, look, I did that thing. And I think, you know, when I talk to people, I try and really focus. People have this idea that they don't have as much control as they think over themselves. And, I, and I've talked with uh, Tim Moen about this as well, um, about how he doesn't give himself enough credit everything he does was a choice he made. And if you really recognize that, then you can be proud of the choices you've made, even about small things, right? You know, and when you're in a depression, it's like, I ate my dinner today. I didn't have to. And I did. I chose to do that. That was progress. And it seems minor, but especially in a really dark place, you know, that's an important milestone. And that's what behavioral activation really talks about. And I want to add again from a different perspective how much more widely applicable this lesson is because it's something for me, like I was doing a lot, like, you know, we've talked about sensory overstimulation, how I think I might have Asperger's or whatever it is. Um, and I realized, you know, I was meditating like two hours a day and then getting overwhelmed by sensory overstimulation as if like that was a default. And it's like, well, if I'm training myself to have like no sensations, then the average sensations will be more st stimulants, right? And it's like, I very much have to learn how to do both. And I've actually, um, you didn't hear this before we started the call because of a lag, but like I've hit a new milestone just recently of learning how to actually let myself engage regularly and try and stay calm. Because for me, they were two totally opposite processes. And it's, again, it's just very much about acclimatizing yourself to the world around you. And for everyone at any stage of their mental health, that's a different process. And there's important tools, but it's really about being, you know, where am I right now? Me as myself in my mind, where am I? It might not be where I want, but I have to accept where I am and acclimatize myself to the world around me a little more step-by-step, step, whether that's about achieving your goals, getting out of a depression, calming your anxiety, or whatever it is. Um, so that's my riff in response. And I found that, like, especially, like, there have been moments where I'm like, wow, like, what you, what you mentioned about, like, not seeing the reason to live, 
like there's moments where I was like, I was like, oh my God, like what is, what is the point of all, all that I'm doing? And you can sort of like, oh, like why is these relationships that important? Why am I doing this? Why am I doing this podcast? It's not going to amount to anything at the end of the day. Like, why am I just wasting my time? Right. And it's really easy to go ahead and catch yourself into those. And I think the perfect example that you used was that idea that like you socialize all of the good things that happen and then you privatize all the bad things. I think maybe that might not be the best like phrasing of it, but it's like that good information I've not heard before, actually. It's and it's like everything that happens that is good is just dumb luck that happened and is just like someone else gave me this opportunity or uh, I was just in the right place at the right time. Um, whereas anything that goes bad, it's like, I was the reason that happened. Like I shouldn't have done that. I did all of these things that caused that to happen, but you don't do the flip and you create this sort of riff in your own mind, um, where it's like, no, there are certain things that happen to you that are bad. That might just be dumb luck. And there are certain things that are good that might be that way, but there's also like the decisions, the people that you met, the amount of effort that you put in things that might not be directly correlated, allowed you to build up the skills or allowed you to build up the, um, like uh, the acclimatization to be able to deal with certain things. And I find that so often, and you've mentioned it too, where I'm like, where you're like, oh, like Winston, you don't understand um, how good you might be at this one specific thing because you downplay everything. Uh, That's good. But all the, all the bad things you'll like go ahead and uh, say that that was something caused by my sort of responsibility. Right. And so I think, you know, this is where philosophy comes in is that's a philosophical training, right? Like people are trained to think that way and it's really negative and it's really harmful. And I've worked really hard through philosophy and and introspection and journaling to change those patterns. Right. Um, And what I'm really interested in actually is because, you know, I had what you said about like, you know, I don't remember exactly what you said, but like, you know, crashing into the depression and then like trying to get out of it, like, I crashed into like a five months depression or something like I had a really long one um, a few years ago. Um, and for me, it was very much looking back. It was because of these philosophical premises I held. It was because my mind had contradictions and it like rifted it apart. Um, and like a friend of mine says, like depression is actually a good thing. It's like a fever. It's your mind telling you something is wrong, right? A fever is telling you something is wrong. Um, but I'm, I don't know how that relates to neurological issues, right? To an actual depression and uh, to like a concussion and stuff. Because for a lot of people and, and, you know, even the experience I have, like with people I've seen in mental health programs and stuff, they're really struggling with some contradiction, some deep, deep thing in their mind that doesn't make sense, that doesn't fit. And that's what it was for me and many people I've talked to. But I don't know how that relates to actual neurological issues, right? Um, and this is where it gets into a gray area, right? I, I don't want to say like everyone who's ever been depressed has like philosophical issues, but I'd, I'd put that forward like with, of, that it's very, very highly probable. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't know how that relates to, yeah, like a concussion and that sort of thing. It's funny that you bring that up because um, for me, I found that because of the concussion or the fact that I'm like, I guess, mentally compromised, uh, um, I found that things that I'll sort of rationalize away, um, I won't, I don't have the mental capacity to do it anymore. So like things that just don't make sense to me or like, I'm just saying that like, Oh, that's just the way it is. I'll just continue doing it. I'd be like, no, like I can't do this. Like, this is, this is stupid. I don't understand it. I don't get it. I don't know why I have to do this. And like part of that, I guess this might just me be being Mr. Positivity in some ways. Right. But it's like, um, I will try to look at that and be like, okay, when I, acclimatize a little bit better, I need to revisit that thing 
and find out, is that actually something that I need to get stricken out of my life? Or is that something that's, that I'm just irritable at, or I'm just um, pissed off of because of the fact that I'm more irritable as a result of the concussion? Um, and I find that there are some good things that it allows you to do is again, look at your priorities and be like, what am I doing too much of? What am I doing not enough of? And what are the things that are so low on my priority list that I just used to fill time with that now, because I have to really decide how I go and allocate my battery capacity in my head. Um, it allows me to find out what's important and not really fall, fall, uh, victim to some of those random things that you do just fill in time during the day. Well, and I think that is, you know, I call it a quarter life crisis. Like that is what I, because of the way most people are raised, that's actually the process I think most people have to go through because you just take for granted the things that you've prioritized in your life um, that you've not necessarily consciously chosen. And I, I used to say like the people who've had mental health issues that I talk to are some of the best people because they're at least questioning all of this stuff. And again, like I, I think that you need to question everything you've ever thought until you know why you think it, you know why it's a priority. And most people never do that. Um, and it's until something kind of triggers it and it's almost a necessity. And so sometimes it's, oh, someone gets physically sick and they have to reassess their entire life um, and their priorities because they have cancer. They want to make sure they make the most of their last 10 years on earth or whatever. Or for me, it was like a mental health break. For many people, it's this like cognitive dissonance. For many people, it was graduating university and not having their dream job. Or for, our, for like my parents' generation, it was being an empty nester, midlife crisis. What the heck do I do with my life now? I've never thought about it at all. Um, and so that is like where mental health issues come up and depression in particular, I think is like, that's not easy. And, and it's also easy to beat yourself up for having not done that before. Right. So it's like a lot of people I talk to who struggle to make the proper progress. It's because they, they can't get over the hurdle of accepting where they are now right? That's the biggest thing. And that's actually when I said I had one like small uh, difference with your original assessment, it's compassion and that idea that like I need, I think that needs to be emphasized. If you can't do something one day, that's okay too, right? Like, yeah, I mean, there needs to be a balance and you have to really know you're putting in the effort. Um, but for me, yeah, the people who don't figure it out, a lot that are trying, it's often because um, they don't want to, like, they can't admit that they made mistakes in the past. Like, it's again, they wish they were further ahead, right? They're looking at how far they have to go, and they're not accepting where they are now and how far they've come. Um, and so I think, I forget your initial point, but basically, I think that this process can be triggered for people in all sorts of ways. And I think it's a really important process because of the way we're like brought up as children. We're not taught to do this assessment as we grow up. And so it's tough when it's happened, when it happens, especially when it's triggered by something we didn't choose. Right. Um, and it kind of triggers this whole process that we're, we don't have the tools to deal with necessarily either. And one thing that's related, that I think is, I think it'd be super helpful for someone who might be going through this, right? Is it really changed my priorities and view. And one of the things that I heard 
and I can't remember the actual person who said this, but it's the idea that a, um, a healthy person wants a thousand things, a sick person only wants one, um, which is to get better. And now, now that I'm, I guess, I guess sick, I've really started thinking about like, okay, what is actually important? My, like, my, what's important for me is to be able to think, be able to have a relationship with the people that are around me, be able to like actually be able to reason about why I'm doing things. Um, and it's really been helpful for me to find, to sort of, like I try to look at the positivity of this, of trying to re-engineer my life and find out what I want to do once I actually get better from all this. Mm-hmm. Um, the second thing that I found super important, I think it's important for people to understand when you're really going through something difficult like this is that it's very easy. Like I even got myself off of Instagram and got myself of most social media and stuff. Cause it's very easy to open up your phone and look at this and be like, wow, this person's doing this or this person holding their job right now is still going and progressing and doing all these things. I have time off of work, of course, with a concussion and it's, it's very difficult, but like, why can't I use this time for other things? Why can't I like get better sooner? And one of the things I heard was about, and it's, I guess that cliche of compare yourself to yourself yesterday uh, in terms of the progress and where you have become, because you are the only person that you are going to compete with that has the exact same contextual circumstances. Um, and it is only fair to sort of compete with yourself because there's right. always going to be contextual differences with the people around you that like you might not necessarily see or be privy to. And, uh, and the third thing that I think is super important, I just got this book. It's called uh, Anti, Anti-Fragile. Um, and, and you can't read it cause it's backwards, but uh, it's anti-fragile by Nassim Nicholas Taleb. Um, and it's been supremely helpful for me, um, because of this idea of anti-fragile, which is that there's things that are fragile, that when there's like an issue that comes up, they break. There's things that are robust, which is that regardless if there's something like, like a robust sort of structure is whether there's things that come at it or not, like it stays put and doesn't change. And then there's the idea of anti-fragile, which is not a term that we actually have, but it's things that get better the more amount of randomness and crazy variables get thrown at it. So it gets stronger as a result of that. And that randomness is good. And it was good for me because most of this book is about like, uh, there's, it relates to politics, it relates to economics, medicine, all that stuff. But I looked at this and I'm like, you know what, like, if I can go through this and be someone that small little things that get thrown that only make you stronger as a person or the idea that whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger is that idea of anti-fragile. And it sort of comes out with like a full on proof as to why that's important and how we forget that in different contexts. I'm only like 30, 40 pages in and I'm already like, this is absolutely great for me. And I try to read it every day or try to get, go through it as much as I can um, with the compromised brain, I guess. And it's super helpful for someone who's trying to, who's going through a depression, who's having a tough time um, built a building that anti-fragility. Yeah, I, I've not read it, but uh, a friend of mine is a big fan of uh, Taleb's and really recommends all of his works. And he has a unique perspective for sure. Um, but I think the whole idea of it's it, like you're just, you have to choose who you are, right? It's one, you said like, the, you know, a healthy person wants a hundred things. A sick person wants one thing. Um, I think it's important to maintain that perspective once you're not sick anymore, right? Exactly. I want one thing. <laughs> I want my life to be good, right? I want, and, and like all of the, like you mentioned, you want friends and like your, uh, your brain to be working properly and these sorts of things, but that's one thing. It's your life, right? 
Um, and so it's about, and crises, let's call it, put that really into perspective for some people, but only if they want to have that perspective fundamentally, right? You choose to be anti-fragile or not, let's say. But I'm interested, like, why particularly did you want to talk about this today? I wanted to talk about it because I found that these three weeks have been some of the hardest three weeks that I've ever gone through. And um, a lot of times, I spend a lot of time like trying, or as much time as I could, trying to read up on these things. And there's always been that trope of like, why are you sad? Why are you upset? Um, can't you just do this? Find out something that makes you happy. And to a certain extent, there is some truth to it in that get rid of all the other things that you don't give a shit about and do the things that you actually, that actually might help you feel better about yourself. Um, but I wanted to talk about it because I think it's something that a lot of people deal with without having gone through a motor vehicle accident. A lot of people go with when they're thinking about like a, a midlife crisis that they're going through. And I found that it's one of the most important problems of our time in terms of trying to figure out what you want to do, what makes you happy, pulling yourself out of depression, especially in moments where you have everything that you'll most likely need. Like I'm at a point in my life where I'm not rich. I'm not, I'm not like doing super successful by any means, but I have everything that I would need to sort of cover my bases. And I have, um, it's almost a, uh, a disease of abundance where you're like, I have everything. What do I have to be sad about? There's nothing for me to be upset about. Everything has been given to you. And that becomes super difficult because before you can be like, oh, I don't have money, I don't have this, I don't have my health, I don't have, I don't have a leg, I don't have an arm. But when you have all of these things, it becomes very difficult. And that is a much harder depression to go through because a lot of the times beforehand, if I ever felt something like this, I would just knuckle drag my way through it, be like, once I become successful and have this specific need met, I'll be fine. And um, I found that this is an important topic to talk about because um, it starts the conversation about like, how do you deal with depression when you have all of the, I think, I think basic needs or desires that you have? And it's like, how do you build meaning in your life and things like that? And sort of like, a, I guess, the, the initial spark that opens up that conversation, I think is a conversation much more people need to be having. I think that makes sense. And I think, yeah, there's this kind of dismissiveness and there's this idea that's given to us that, you know, if there's anyone in the world worse off than us, we have no right to complain. And it's like, well, no, but these, and I think it's part of the whole culture that doesn't actually value feelings, right? Feelings aren't like statements of facts, but they're, they are facts in themselves. Like if I feel sad, that's a fact. And I shouldn't say, oh, I shouldn't feel sad. No, no, I do. It's not like I should or shouldn't. I do feel a certain way, right? And so it's important to frame it that way as well, I think. Um, Although Ben Shapiro says facts don't care about your feelings, that's true, but feelings are facts and we have to treat them that way and learn where they're coming from the same way we would learn where other facts come from. Um, but I think I want to highlight for our audience, even if they're not, if they've never experienced depression or if they're not right now, everything we've talked about is a fundamental thing about like someone's relationship with their own mind. And the whole, I, the whole thing is when you don't face these questions and you don't do this process and you don't put these habits into your thinking regularly and generally, that's what then eventually leads to depressions being triggered, 
right? It's that's the it a depression is your mind's reaction to not being treated in the optimal way for a certain amount of time, the same way your body can show symptoms. And so all of these things we've talked about, it's not just for people in a depression or who struggle with depression. It's for everyone. It's for everyone to, it's a preventative medicine too, right? And so these are very important points to always keep in your life, no matter what stage, no matter what age or whatever. And so I really appreciate you sharing and I want to highlight that this is important for everyone as well. The, the one other caveat that I would add um, about the, the facts and the, and the feelings is that me personally, I think that along with your feelings, there should be some factual basis included as well. Um, so what that means is it's not just, but, oh. I mean... Yeah, I understand where you're going. That's very long conversation, though, about the nature of emotions, right? You feelings are connected to facts. You can't, like, if you have a feeling that's not connected to facts, you can assess it and understand that after the feeling is through. If you're trying to do that at the moment and say this feeling's not valid, then you're, you're repressing or suppressing, I forget which one, the emotion in the moment, right? So I agree, you should align your mind such that your feelings are based on facts and reason and rationality. But for many people, that's not the case. And you have to accept that when it's not the case, right? You can't kind of fight it if your emotions are, it's not always the case. Yeah, fair, okay. And I think, of course, we can have a longer conversation about that a little bit later. Uh, and of course, that turns that's, into something that's, that's... a long conversation. Yeah. Sure. I, I'm, I'm glad that uh, we were able to have this conversation. Um, any other uh, last, I guess, thoughts that you have before we end off the episode? Nope. Okay. Well, awesome, David. Uh, enjoyed talking about this. I'm looking forward to our next episode. And uh, thank you, folks, for listening.